0: Agile Amp shares stories of bringing agility and humanity into the workplace and beyond. Inspiring and provocative voices speak on topics from technology to business to living change. Dedicated to building a more agile world, Agile Amp is brought to you by Accenture.
1: Thank you very much, Brian and Rich, for joining Agile Amt UK for the podcast today. Really excited about our conversation because um, your recent publication, there are a lot of things that I can resonate to um, and feel proud to be part of your journey as well. So, before we start our conversation, how about a quick introduction from both of you guys uh, on who you are, what's your background, and what keeps you passionate about? Uh, about agility and and transforming organizations. So we start with you, Rich, a uh, quick elevator pitch.
0: Yeah, hi, Hamza. Um, so my educational background, I trained as an electronic engineer. Um, I then quickly followed that up with uh, 10 years as a commissioned officer in the British Army, and that really gave me a brilliant opportunity to just learn about leadership for 10 years. Um, on leaving the army, I then became a program manager in a local authority. And one of the things that really struck me when I went in there was, one, how people thought about planning. And two, that's planning on in terms of delivering projects, not planning in terms of new developments and houses. Um, and, and two, what I was learning in terms of what these projects were trying to solve in terms of problems and what I was finding is, these don't seem to be working on the right sort of problems. And that was a path that led me to really try and explore what sort of method approaches would help me better understand what are the right problems to work on before we then engaged in projects. And that path led me to systems thinking. I then worked as uh, leading a PMO and business management function in one of uh, a global IT firm at that time, their, their biggest program. And again, what I was trying to do is understand what are the problems that we're trying to work on within the problem, within the program, and I could see real parallels with what I'd learnt uh, and and seen within the local authority, which again just made me more and more curious about how we could use systems thinking. That led me uh, to the door of Vanguard Consultancy, and I was able to then really accelerate what I was learning about systems thinking, working with them, learning about interventions how we could intervene in organizations leaving them better off sustainably with but without any dependency so not just about the systems thinking but how do we how do we do things in a way that isn't forcing change onto people but helping people through that that change piece i was able to do that in a variety of services and organizations and again what was fascinating is i was seeing lots of common conditions organizations that were affecting how they worked and often the same sort of management logic that underpinned how these organizations were being designed and how they were being managed and this seemed to be um agnostic of what of service or organization that that, that that these were involved in um in one of these organizations working with i was lucky enough to start to uh, work with an area that was involved in uh, delivering projects again in the IT and within change, uh, and again using that systems thinking piece, what I started to see was um, these teams using agile methods, Scrum and Kanban, to deliver their changes. And when I was working with this team, these teams, I found again some really interesting synergies between the different um, techniques within the. Agile umbrella and with systems thinking. What I was also doing then is seeing some parallels and some synergies with what I learned within the military about how you apply military doctrine from a maneuverist perspective. And those three things that the, the Agile methods, systems thinking, and what I could see in terms of and the application of military doctrine have kept me fascinated in terms of those connections and and what underpins that that theory and how that can be applied in different sorts of contexts.
1: Thank you very much, Rich, for that uh, elaborative introduction. Really, really excited to hear your thoughts further on, on the book. So, Brian, can we get a quick introduction from you, who you are, what's your background, and what keeps you fascinated about agility?
2: yeah sure so yeah it's uh, great to do that so my background similar to rich is engineering but uh, from civil engineering so i studied civil engineering and then i had uh, several years calculating life expectancy on the motorways in the uk and malaysia so have a lot of sort of mathematics involved to work out how long a, a motorway would actually last before you'd need to reconstruct it which is sounds you know taking that data in and then using that to see you know how, how their governments could quantify the cost that would do so and, and motorways are, are quite expensive but after several years on the roads i realized the life on the roads wasn't for me so i decided to to jack that in as it were and then go back uh, and try something else so i managed to uh, get my job a job somehow in a software engineering company and i think they were probably pretty desperate at the time so they say so they took me on but when they, when they took me in, I, I got a role as as a tester. And, uh, and I, I said to the 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 MD, any chance I could do some training? And they said they would fund me as a part-time degree. So I went back to college while I worked as a in the software company and did a part-time degree in software, which I which I really enjoyed. And that software company was a products company, so they allowed me to do some testing and I did some testing for a while, and I thought, well, I'm ready for the next challenge. They said, you know. Would you like to move into software development? So I did software development. Uh, and that was great on a on a on a product thing, but I had a I had an inkling to do something a little bit bigger than a product. So I joined another software company, which was a bespoke uh, software house, which they would respond to bids that came in. So we would we would bid against you know the the top five consultancies plus a lot of other major players out there in the software game, and we would design and build bespoke one-offs. And that really interested me. So to be able to get in, work with the client, work out what their problem was, do it on a fixed price, get it done, get it delivered, and actually see see it see it into the customer's hands, uh, delivered. So on the back of that, I, I I did that for a while, and then I worked for myself as a, a freelance consultant, and then sort of you know came back in doing analysis for a number of companies, and that that led me down the track to sort of coaching and mentoring teams and and taking on the journey. And over over the last four or five years, I've been involved in agile, worked with a number of teams, grown leaders, but I still have an inkling for innovation, design, and data, and actually pushing the boundaries of what is capable, not only now, or what is capable in the future. So I'm always wanting to see what we can do that no one has done before, and how can we make organizations or how can we help organizations transition through that? So I, I, I thoroughly enjoy what I'm doing. So yeah, that's, that's where I am.
1: Brilliant, thank you very much for that. Um, one observation, you guys are, both have a very technical background, um, like to get your hands dirty to get things done right. That intrigues me. Uh, uh, I'm reading your current publication, *The Waste Detectives*, and that makes me more curious about how did you guys come up with the idea of writing a book, uh, and that too about identifying waste. Um, that's quite interesting because there are several other methodologies and frameworks available out there already. So let's just start from you, Brian. What what was the thought that came to you, you guys, to actually write a book on on this subject and what is the book about as well the,
2: the book is the book is called the waste Detective. so it's, it, it is what it says on the tin it's about finding waste in organizations so you can remove that waste and in, increase capacity in terms of the idea of where it came from i'd been working uh, with, with a business at one point doing kanban training get kanban i was going through that that materials and the get Kanban is basically geared on leaving work where it is, not having a blocked column, and focusing on the cycle time. So you're limiting the work, getting that flow rate done. But the the waste, the blockages are key as well. And i have been through that, and I thought, well, this is this is quite good. I like this. I can see how this works. We've got the teams working, got that. And then I, I went to an event, and uh, I went to an event, and, and Rich was was there presenting, and Rich would talked through a concept of uh, how he worked in a different organization and how they looked at blocked work in one team, just one team where they built the work, they designed the work, they had knowledge of the work and they'd removed that work to increase flow. And I thought, oh, I, like, I really like the idea of that. And I, I like the idea of it because I've just been through the Get Kanban. I have a background in data warehouse design to add a structured data at a scalable level and the concept that Rich showed me for one team, I thought, and I believed I could scale that. So during the end of the conversation, I I went over to Rich and I said, look, I really like your idea here for one team, leave that with me. I'm going to come back to you. I think I can do something here, but let me come back. And I think that's probably the last Rich heard from me for several months. And then I took that away. I, I, I literally, I took that away. I thought, okay, let's start to have a look at some data. Let's see what the likes of JIRA can do. What is the data there? How can we build a model? How can we make that work? How can we get the knowledge? And then suddenly realized, wow, got something here. Got something that hasn't been done before in the agile space that we can actually get and obtain knowledge that we can react on we can go through those behaviours, we can take the leadership and the teams through those behaviours, and we can increase the flow by 50% by removing this waste out of the business. So we're actually taking that capacity and increasing that capacity for our customers. And uh, it's came together, and then myself and Rich had a bit of a chat, and we realised that no one else had actually been talking about this or doing this in the Agile space. So I thought, and I mentioned to Rich, how about coming on the journey with me and sort of writing this book and going for it? Because it's a gap in the market and also it's a gap in the knowledge base. And I I particularly wanted to be a thought leader in this space of removing waste at scale. And uh, I, I thoroughly enjoyed writing the book and I'm still thoroughly in, enjoying working with Rich on this journey.
1: I can definitely see the enthusiasm from, from, from that. And I... I, I can relate it uh, uh, while I was reading the book. I could I could resonate uh, a lot of the things that you guys talk about and we'll, we'll cover that in, in a second. But anything you would want to add to that, Rich? Yeah, I thought... How, I thought, how was your experience and what the journey yeah, was?
0: Yeah, I thought um, uh, Brian's conversation with me was very timely because um, at the point that we were having the conversation, we were just into lockdown. And so Brian was saying to me, I think there's some re- really interesting stuff in this and between us we're learning a lot and between us we've got a lot of varied experiences which are learning and what we're doing just now is based on and because we we're in lockdown uh there wasn't a great deal to do and actually brian had hit on in my list of stuff to have a go at in my my lifetime one of those things was i wonder if richard moyer can write a book um I'd never really been able to get my head around how would I start, what book would I write? But just uh, working with Brian, seeing that we were both interested, really interested in the same sort of thing, Brian's uh, passion and energy meant that this felt actually a doable thing to do. Um, so we we made a start on it. I think that that initial conversation that Brian and I had, where Brian talked about, I think, There is a way to scale this really piqued my interest because um there is one challenge in terms of helping teams and organizations understand how to better and design and manage their work but how you accelerate and scale that through an organization is always really challenging and for brian to uh, with his initial thoughts to have shared how he thought we might do that was a a direction and approach that I'd never considered and wasn't aware of. And I think really came from Brian's expertise and his previous experience. Um, So yeah, it was, it was, uh, it was a good match. Brilliant. Um, I picked up something over there around scaling
1: based management and I'll hold on to that thought because I'm going to specifically talk about that later in the podcast, but what I would really I'm interested in, uh, and I, I think I mentioned earlier with regards to your the, the introduction of the book as well, there are several other methodologies, frameworks out there um, that people use to sort of identify waste, and most notably the, the seven wastes that Lean defines, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so why was there a need for, for the waste detectives? What is different? Why... Yeah. What was the gap that you were trying to fill with this publication?
0: Yeah. So being a systems thinker very early on in learning about systems thinking, I was introduced to W. Edwards Deming uh, and one of his well-known quotes is by what method. And what he's really saying there is even if you understand what it is you want to make different, how you want to change that import performance, by what method are you going to do that? Now, of course, Part of what Deming talks about is the stuff that we learn as engineers in terms of good engineering practice. But that is all really founded in scientific method. And it's that piece around we make some observations of the world. We frame hypotheses based on those observations. We work out how can we run experiments to... Uh, test out the validity of those hypotheses and from there we can then take further action. Now one of the things that's interesting when we look at uh, knowledge work and software development is that work, that activity, unlike the manufacturing that Deming was involved in, that work is really very abstract. It's very difficult to see. So one of the first things we're trying to do is make that abstract work much more visible and we can see that in a number of um, the methodologies and the approaches uh, there's some great stuff in in uh, the works of like dominica de grandis talking about um uh, how you how you can make that work visible but it isn't just about making the work visible if the work is abstract the problems are even more Invisible and more abstract, and so being able to make those problems visible, I think is one of those key bits because until we can start to um, observe those problems, we can't then form our hypotheses, we then don't know how we're going to take action, and just by sensing or being aware of uh, the different types of waste as they're defined um within lean software development doesn't mean that we're any better placed to be able to go and understand where where are they occurring within the organization. So really, what Brian and I were trying to work on is how can we first of all make these things visible? How can we then start to form that those observations into something that would allow us to build hypotheses, which then points us towards the things that we believe we should take action on. In order to improve the performance of how we were trying to undertake product development, software development, achieve that value for the customer, which ultimately then adds into the business outcomes that we're trying to achieve within the organisation. Does that does that go any way to answer your question? Yeah, I think that that
1: answer. if I have to if I have to summarise that, so essentially, the concept was driven by the work that Deming has done. Mm. Uh, and some of the other authors. But the the key challenge you were trying to solve over here, and this book is trying to solve, is that we're dealing with knowledge work, abstract work, and how do we actually... And that's a gap, as I understand, uh, in the literature that you're trying to fulfill with this book. Is that a fair summary of my
0: understanding of what the premise of this, why this book was actually written? Yeah, and, and I think it's it's that, that gap is about... By what method do you make those observations and turn that that into data and um, information that allows us to start to frame out um, hypotheses of where we take action to improve and I think it's that structuring of the observations into something that can be measurable and actionable, which is really key to that empiricism and the scientific method about how we undertake improvement within organizations. And okay. and I guess with that comes uh, quite a burden because what you can't do is just copy what somebody else has done. Invariably, we're going to see different teams under different conditions and therefore different problems. And even the way in which we, they would tackle those problems needs to be specific to their context so part of this is all about how do we develop the capability within teams and leaders and organizations to be able to undertake those observations turn that into um, measurable data that enables them to undertake improvements in in innovation using um, empiricism okay no
1: everything makes sense So that, you mentioned something really interesting uh, and you quoted Deming over there. And I've got a question for you, Brian. Uh, And Rich mentioned about by what method, right? And that's really thought provoking because we keep talking about different methods and frameworks, right? And within your publication, your book, The Waste Detective, you, you, you've come up with with a method. So, so what is the approach uh, that organizations can actually take to embed this in their ways of working? And how, how do you actually go about finding or implementing this? What is the, yeah. What is the method?
2: Yeah, it's a great question, actually. So when, when we started, we, we didn't have a method. We, we, knew, we knew what we wanted to do as an outcome. We knew we wanted to know knowledge of where the waste was, the quantity of waste, what the waste, and a description of the waste of, and also to enable leaders to be able to make decisions off the waste, to be able to act on their system so they could be integrated with the work, with the teams, and then make a decision about what waste they would want to remove from the business so they could take that out, and then everyone's working in sync to go together so in terms of the method i spent a number of months working with with teams prototyping and trialing different bits and also understanding the behaviors of the teams so just because you have a framework and you say right that's the framework it works end to end doesn't necessarily mean it actually works so you'd think of the concept of well let's let's go into a team and let's remove a blocked column and let's just start leaving the work where it is. And let's start capturing some knowledge. Even that small thing I you think makes common sense. they just all we want to do is just take one column out and just start capturing knowledge around the dates and for the teams to act on the knowledge. In some instances, you have scrum masters that are embedded and they're ingrained to keep that that column and they don't want to change. So you hit this sort of mindset ability. So so what, what I've, I did is I worked with a number of teams and worked through those problems. So leaving the work where it is, introducing to flow, capturing the concept. What what information and what decisions are you making from your workflow? How are you flagging the data? And, and some sorts of things that we found early doors working with teams is I you know, ask the teams to say, OK, could you just leave some information about why the work is blocked? And some of the, the teams will just write down, it's blocked. And you think, well, that doesn't really help me. So that gives you a sense of learning as well. So that shows you that method doesn't work. So I need to, we need to layer something else into the framework. And from my data warehousing background, I then realized how we could layer in, let's capture some you know, key data. So who is it? What is it? What is the impact? What's the value of the impact? What's the theme? And then from that, we start to build that up. Okay, is that enough to allow a leader to make a decision? Then we've started to bring in the product owners. So like I've got some product owners in the work. How can you sense and act on the data? What is there? What are your top blockers? But when when you start to study waste, and once you, start, once you sense the data, and we've got a section in the book called know teams you know teams need data like fish need water you know so so once they start sensing the data and seeing the quantity of waste in their organization it's shocking to leaders that how much capacity is being sapped so the framework has gone through each stage of this and then currently myself and rich are working on a capability model so we've got this capability model that we can step through, that we can go through. So we're going on that. So, but the framework works end to end, it's, it's proven, and we've taken a lot of waste out and we've increased typically capacity or flow rates go up about 30 to 50%, but it, but actually, it actually works and it's a pleasure to see it when it's working and it's a pleasure to see those, those teams and leaders who are open-minded the teams and leaders that are not open-minded don't get the joy that the, the ones that do. So those open-minded leaders and teams are the ones that, that get the benefit from the framework that has taken a period to to, to evolve and build up.
1: So in essence, it's, it's about generating the right data that can be analysed and understood where the, the bottlenecks, the blockers are, and then quantifying that to demonstrate how much waste in the system so yeah, and i would going also, to probe um, that a little bit. Yeah, go on. Yeah, no, and it, it, it's,
2: it's the behaviours as well. So it gives you the data to act on, but if the data isn't acted on in the right way by the leaders, the product owners, the scrum masters, you can lose the advantage of the data quite quickly. So if you use it as a stick to hit somebody rather than a curiosity and understanding then you it then there's a real sense of things not not coming together. So, so it, it, it comes it comes together with the behaviors and the data. Yeah.
1: Brilliant. No, I think I think that, that was a good addition. I'll I'll probe that a little bit further. Maybe Rich you can add mm-hmm. uh, on, on to this. So as part of your study when you were going and, and looking at this data, I I was going to the book and I saw some classifications of waste, right? Mm-hmm. How how did you actually come up with those classifications and what those classifications are and how are they different from the existing um, uh, other classifications of ways that you find in other
0: frameworks? So. There is um, obviously the Popping Dakes uh, framed out the the common types of waste that we see. There is seven, but others have identified the eighth and, and, you know, they they appear to me to be um, consistent and, uh, you know, give a framework where we can identify those sorts of things. I guess what we were doing is rather than taking those and trying to find how do we bring those classifications into the teams? What we were starting with is at the other end of the telescope where we were starting with, for each of these delays, for each of these issues, what is causing that? And so on the face of it, it looked like it was different things for every single um, uh, instance of, of delay or blocker appearing. But actually, what we were learning is that there are similarities between these different instances of things being blocked so what we're actually doing was we were starting to build up these um these waste types these characteristics from the work uh, and uh, from the instances of the work being blocked so it's almost like the char- the the waste types were being built up and characterized over time we could see common patterns between different incidents being blocked and that was starting to point to um, types of waste that were being caused by different areas or by policies or by the designs around how we do the controls for um, the, the, the release. Now, when you look at those, most of those will then map into those seven types of waste and I've mentioned, obviously, we see delays, but the delays were often connected with where we had started work, it hit a blocker, it had become partially done work and then it was waiting to be picked up again. It was neglected work in progress. We could see often where work was progressing and it then had to be, had to be handed off to somebody um, uh, because that was part of the design. It was another team that did some of that function. Or contractually we needed somebody else to do that thing for us so they were often the sorts of things where the instances and the types and the characteristics of, of waste that we could see were being mapped into those things but we could then see the the, the other types of waste as a consequence of that in terms of things like the, the tax task switching or people having put something down, neglected it, picking it up again, they're having to relearn about the context of that piece of work, where had they got up to, and what did they need to do with it next? And of course, some of that as a second order consequence, then affected uh, the the defects that were coming out of that neglected and, 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 and delayed work, because quality issues were were emerging from that delay and that neglect. Uh, and, and then potentially the piece where there was an encouragement for extra features that were not required. So I think it's that piece around really starting from the insta- each individual instance and trying to build out through those characteristics to then determine locally what are the different types of waste. Anything you want to add to that, Brian? Yes,
2: yeah, it's, it's just as, as Rich said. Really, so it's, we were building up from the ground up. We were getting actual data. And then who, the what, the impact, and then we were asking the teams to say where where are those where are those themes, how does that map, and then we could see how that laid into those those seven types of waste, and then we've we've used that seven types of waste in in software in, in the software industry to help us when we do the comms. So when somebody said well, where does this idea come from, why is waste important, we well, can say well this is an industry thing, but however we're doing this with our framework. And this is how it matches in to industry forms that we're doing. But this helps us in this particular way use this framework. And it it just brings it to life. Uh, The the two two things bring it to life.
1: Brilliant. So I think that makes a lot of sense. And uh, I can resonate with a lot of the things that you've just, just talked about. But I'm also curious about something that you said earlier, which around scaling waste management, right? I I think it was you, Rich O'Brien, somebody mentioned about scaling the waste management process. So I'm curious about, I'm pretty sure you would have faced a lot of issues and challenges throughout this journey, right? And I'm interested to knowing about what are the pitfalls? What are the challenges that um, we need to sort of take into account when we go on to this expedition of finding waste in the organization? And maybe we can start with you, Rich, and then come to Brian uh, to add to that. But really, really curious to know what were the sort of key challenges or what are the key pitfalls that people need to be aware of when they go on to this journey of finding waste?
0: Yeah, so I think one of the first challenges is, um, okay, if it's been done over there, how do we uh, just quickly take what they've done in there and... um, implement that, impose it into all the other teams. So they follow exactly what the other teams have done. Uh, And I think as you've, you've heard both Brian and I talk about, this is not something that you just pick up uh, and and implement like a new version of software. Uh, This is something that is, has to be involving the teams and the leaders within the organization at the end of the day, there is no tool that is going to remove bottlenecks for you. The only thing that's going to remove bottlenecks is that 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 piece around really understanding the problem, working out the potential options around how we would solve that problem, and then taking action and testing to see does that do what we expected. So I think that helping um, particularly leaders see that there is no again to use a Deming phrase there's no such thing as instant pudding we can't just take a tool and apply it in a team and expect it to give us the improvements that that, that we're hoping for. I think the next challenge then is um, recognizing that the sorts of problems that we're talking about in the in the context that we're talking about means that we're invariably working with problems in the complex domain in the way that Dave Snowden would define that in his Kinevin framework. And what that really means is no matter what our previous experience is, no matter how much we stare at the data, there's no way we can know for certainty that where we have this problem, if we deploy that as the countermeasure, we will then definitely get the outcome that we want. Invariably, the things that we've done previously, to solve a type of problem will not necessarily work again in the future or in other teams with similar problems and one of the key things with working with problems in a complex domain is that you need different perspectives and so it's no good having an improvement expert coming in on their own to study the work and come up for themselves with what the solution should be and then getting teams to to apply that solution this even though we wrote the book um, from the frame of reference or the perspective of a, of a chief technology officer or a chief digital officer. The book is relevant for everybody that works in these sorts of organizations, because the problems impact everybody they cause frustration for those doing the work those that are doing the work are closest to sensing where the problems are but those that are closest to the work and sense the problems may not have the reach and the influence and within the organization to be able to take the actions required to try and solve that problem and so i think this idea that you've got to have a variety of perspectives you need all of those that are involved to be working on this together is a bit of a challenge because often we find organizations are not set up to do that, even though we may have set up um, cross-functional teams to be able to do the work and work together. Here, we're talking about cross-functional teams, not just to do the work, but to undertake improvements. And that may mean that we've got to be cross-functional with other bits of the organization and cross-functional through um, the leadership hierarchy. I think another challenge is that on the face of it, again, the challenge and the way we would approach it looks quite mechanistic. It looks like we're getting involved with data, looking at workflows, looking at processes. But I think what I've just described, you'll, you'll sense that if we're to mobilise a group of individuals to come together and work on a complex problem together, that requires some leadership. It requires intent, it requires somebody to create the conditions that enables that, that uh, collection of individuals to work on that problem. And I think the final challenge I, uh, 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 that occurs to me is that if we don't have that leadership right, if we don't have the context of why we're doing this and the conditions being set to enable this to happen, what I've often observed is individuals and teams worry about when data is being taken from the work that I'm being, I'm, we're involved in. What are people going to do with that data? To Brian used the phrase earlier, are there, is somebody going to use that data as a way of putting me under pressure, using that, that as a stick to almost control what's happening within the team and the individuals. Now I talked in my introduction about some of the common logic that I've come across in organizations and part of that management logic is that idea that we use data to leverage management control in an organization. This is a very common idea, but it's sourced way back to Taylorism back in the 1920s and that sort of work allowed that idea to be really rather successful, but that work was very manual based. Um, it was limited it was it was straightforward it certainly wasn't operating in the complex domain but that that logic and those ideas of how we would use data and measures to control teams and individuals to give us that certainty from a management perspective of the outcomes that we're after that that's flawed it's outdated. if anything, it hides the problems it encourages people to work around those mechanisms and things get hidden so it provides used in the wrong way it provides managers with an illusion of control it certainly doesn't provide us with what we would want to be using data and metrics for within an agile setting which is the logic that the data and the measures help us understand learn and improve And so without the leaders making a real commitment to say, we do want to make your work more visible, we do want to expose the problems of how you're completing the work. But that is only to learn about what is getting in the way. It's not to encourage or uh, motivate you into doing a great amount of work, despite the problems that we, we know you're experiencing within the system. So for me, that leadership bit is is a really key part about creating that psychological safety. Again, a Deming um, idea, which is to drive out fear from the way in which we're doing the work. So it enables people to actually leverage their knowledge and their expertise of doing that work, but through the use of data and metrics, understand how we're going to learn and improve how that team is working together, which ultimately improves the performance of the organization. Brilliant. So if I have to summarize that,
1: uh, in essence, it's it's about using old thinking to solve modern problems, right? Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. So th- you, you touched on a few really crucial points around leadership. And I've got a very interesting question coming your way, Brian, is how, how does leadership generally react? And if you could share some examples of the reactions, because one of the, the, princip- one, one of the observations I've had working um, in, in previous engagements is that leadership gets really worried uh, when these things surface. So yeah. what were the sort of key challenges, specific challenges that you faced with the leadership and then how did you actually come up with influencing and in overcoming those sort of mental models that the leadership has that by exposing all of this information, it will make their, 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 their empire look bad?
2: Yeah, it's, it's, it's really interesting, actually. So so when we when I first kicked off, I was fortunate to work with an open-minded leader to say, I want to find, try and find some waste in your area. We're going to get some knowledge. We're going to be able to do this. But... I, the, the key thing, key advice I would say is layer the breadcrumbs, state what it's going to be like. So I had a frank conversation which basically said what we're going to find is going to be really bad, but it's going to be really bad in your area, but it's going to be really bad across the whole organisation. Expect it to be bad, but that's OK. It's about knowledge. We want some knowledge and we want to be able to act on the knowledge. Your behaviours of how you react to that data and how you work with your team are as key to capturing more knowledge. So if you go on and say, you know, we're losing all this money, what are you doing to do, you're just going to stop the individuals collecting the data and that data is key to you to make a difference. So very, very fortunate to have somebody that was on board, up for it, brave, really brave. Because they knew they were exposing their area to, you know, to, to be the guinea pig, as it were, to, to try that out. So going through the journey, uh, we, we, we identified a lot, you know, a lot of uh, waste. And then that taint came down to the second layer of leadership. So one of the instances about, you know, how do you influence the leaders and what are your, your your problems? So one of the second layers where we expose the data, they said, there's no way I can show that data. I'll get crucified by my customers. They, they won't they won't want this. So I thought, well, I know, that's, that's quite interesting. But if you think of a leadership perspective, you have that left to right shift. So you have the traditional leader, you know, the tailorism, managing the money, managing the budgets, managing the people. That individual was clearly focused on, I need to be focused on the budgets. But an open minded, digital adaptive leader on the right hand side is wanting about knowledge. Where is the knowledge? How can it help me? How can I make a difference? How can I get into the work? How can I do that? So you, you see the different types of leadership as you go on this journey. So you it's very quick to spot the closed leadership, the traditional. It's about the money. How does that make a difference? The open leaders uh, get, a, get a lot more out of this. Yeah. So, do you want to come do, in? Do
0: you want to add something to that, Rich? Yeah, I think you. Brian mentioned this adaptive leadership, and I think again, um, Hamza, I, I know that you're aware of this. And I'm sure many of your 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 listeners will be as well. That this new way in which we are trying to undertake product development, the way in which we're trying to do software development, the whole knowledge management piece. In fact, leadership in this modern world, which recognizes much more the need to operate effectively within complex domains, does demand a different type of leadership. And I think the, 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 the necessity of being really purpose driven for leaders to be using the organization's values and the principles by which we're trying to work, the philosophies we're trying to follow, that that is that's not a desirable, that's a that's a necessity nowadays in this sort of work, in, in the sort of challenging environments that we're in. And I think there are a number of opportunities for leaders to really reflect on how do they undertake their leadership? How are they working on this? And I think this is one of those examples that gives them that opportunity to understand what that looks like absolutely in practice and with teams. So any of those fears or those, those worries that are absolutely legitimate because many leaders will have, experience, will have those fears because of previous experiences. But if there is a commitment within the organisation to be purpose-driven, to be applying these values, you can often see the things that are needed in those values that are part of being an adaptive leader in this modern environment. It's that piece about being transparent, being honest, um, confronting the hard truths, not dismissing and hiding them, but recognizing the impact it make has on you and how it makes you feel as a leader, but determined that with method, we can lean into those challenges and work on them
1: brilliant i think that's that calls for another specific conversation around leadership as well and um, i will definitely touch upon that uh, in in future sessions as well so just conscious of time as well Um, i think we've we've covered quite a few uh, topics uh, in the course of discussion but my sort of to conclude the arguments, a question for both of you guys, basically, what were your top three learnings as a result of this journey? And where are we going next with this with this journey? Where, where are the waste detectives off to next? So maybe we can start with you, Brian. What were your sort of three, top three learnings? And then we can cover where are we off to next?
2: The top three learnings uh, going on the method, it, it's, it's not going to happen. Overnight, uh, you you have to sell, take people on the journey, organically grow, and you have to listen to the individuals you're working with. We've all got past experiences; everyone has got muscle memory either from leadership or from different organisations. And listen, react, adapt, but then take them on the journey. take them on the journey with you. Uh, so that, that's that's probably mine to be honest.
0: Which, um, kind of similar to Brian's, I think um, one of it, one of them was really the very emergent nature of of, of, of how we do this. Not just uh, the emergent nature of how we tackle the innovation and help teams identify and act on those causes of waste, but really it was an emergent journey for us in terms of how we develop that method. But uh, I guess the second point is is that connection of. The importance of, of involving people that actually do the work right from the outset uh, and working with them as we develop that that through. And I guess the third one is, um, again, it comes back to, you know, that uh, no tool will remove the bottlenecks, um, you know, to, to remove the bottlenecks requires action. In order to take the right action, we need to be effective in our problem solving. And I think problem solving is. It's something that is actually quite a difficult thing to learn how to do effectively. And I'm not sure that I've seen in many organisations lots of uh, structure or enablement of how do we improve uh, as individuals or or collectives in terms of how we undertake problem solving. So I think one of the things that Brian and I have talked about is as we progress on this journey and developing the framework, what is it that could be useful in terms of how we develop or how we can help individuals, teams, and organizations to get to be better at problem solving? Um, so, again, it, it's no good just identifying where is the waste and what's causing that waste. We have to be good at being able to take the right action that starts to remove that.
1: Brilliant. So, you just talked about helping organizations learn problem solving. So, I presume the next step in in this journey is expanding on on that concept so an open question for both of you guys what's next where are we going with this whole thing are we evolving what what are we doing next to sort of enhance on on, on this concept
0: yeah so from my perspective um, we've we've been working with uh, a number of different teams over time and we're we're, we're evolving the framework and by writing the book, what we were looking to do is trying to get more feedback, more insight, more people either um, being able to recognise where that's achieved some uh, progress and success for them, or where are the shortfalls or challenges or things that we need to um, enhance within the framework. And from my perspective, as I've just mentioned, with the problem solving, I think that could be something that we are able to develop and emerge. But what what we're really looking to do is, is get more of that insight and that feedback from people that are using the framework and, and see what they're learning to help enhance and emerge where it goes. Brilliant, anything for you, Brian?
2: Yeah, for, my, for me, it's it, it's scaling to, to do this at scale and how do you scale up through the organization? And then at scale, you have lots of data lots of synergies across areas and teams and etc and then how can you also scale the removal of waste so how can you bring in the teams the individuals the techniques to take it back take the waste out at root cause so if you can fix it once fix it for all and make a massive difference to the organization's capacity so if you can free up that capacity at scale you're really making a difference to an organization's ability to spend their money on value for clients rather than spend their money on what is sapping their capacity. That's, that's the key thing for me.
1: Brilliant. Thank you. First of all, thank you very much to both of you for taking time out and talking to the, to my audience today about your latest publication. My final question is where can we find more about you guys what are the channels where we can keep learning about the waste detectives
2: so we we have a website There's that, and we've got the book published so the books available on the amazon kindle store and the apple store Uh, we're both on linkedin and we've got a linkedin group called the waste detectives so we encourage readers of the waste detectives if they're interested to find us on linkedin join that join us connected on that that group and then we're passionate at being thought leaders on waste removal to build up that and build up our knowledge and build up everyone else's knowledge as well on, on the journey that we're both passionate about
1: thank you thank you for sharing that I'm, and we would eagerly look forward to seeing more work coming from you guys thank you very much um sharing all that information with us and i'm 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 hopeful my audience will find this useful as well so thank you once again thanks very much hamza really enjoyed that
2: thank you thanks
0: Thanks for listening to this episode of agile amped if you learn something new please tell a friend co-worker or client about this podcast For more inspiring conversations, subscribe to Agile Amped on your favorite podcast app.